Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I want to talk to you today about taking charge of your negative thinking. This is a topic I covered way back in episode 77, and it was part one of a two-part series, and today we're covering part two. In part one, I talked about ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, with psychotherapist Kate Lambie. And today I want to talk about another strategy for taking charge of our negative thinking. It's a psychotherapy technique called REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, by Dr. Albert Ellis. It's my personal favorite. I adore it. I use it on myself all the time. And I've shared elements of it throughout different podcast episodes when I've talked about the power of our beliefs to impact our thinking, which then our thinking impacts our feelings. So I've touched on it here and there because like I said, it's my favorite and it's something that's truly infiltrated my entire way of being. Because as we say every week, taking charge of your thoughts absolutely takes charge of your life. And as I learned these techniques when I was in my training to become a therapist, I resonated with them here and there, but wow, I fully embraced the power of cognitive interventions when I started implementing these same techniques that I learned to share with clients to help them as they combated anxiety and depression. But I truly didn't appreciate how impactful and profoundly powerful these interventions are until I started using them on myself. So today I'll talk a little bit about the premise, the foundation of REBT. Then I'll share a model that you can use whenever you are feeling undesirable emotions, anything from being mildly irritated to highly anxious to very depressed. These techniques are substantiated by a ton of research. So you can know that it's not just my personal philosophy. I'm borrowing from the greats in the field of psychotherapy. I'm borrowing from the research. Cognitive therapies have been shown in research to be incredibly effective for the typical concerns that we deal with on a daily basis. Like I said, from mild irritation to anxiety to depression, these techniques are substantiated. They are powerful. And the beautiful thing is, as you start to work on these techniques, they become more and more habitual such that, and I've talked about this back in episode 52, neuroplasticity is your superpower. When we start to harness our thinking, We make physical changes to our neural pathways such that thinking in a more positive, productive, and empowered way becomes our default. It becomes easier and easier as opposed to where many of us are or have been, where our default mode is to see the glass as half empty, to assume that the world is out to get us, to be rooted in what Albert Ellis calls irrational thinking. And finally, I'll share a true story from my life where REBT made all the difference. 
We'll learn how to take charge of our thoughts through rational emotive behavior therapy right after this. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfector's applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. So let's dig in. And by the way, you guys are getting grad level coursework here because everything I'm sharing with you comes from all the research I've done over the years when I was a professor, when I was preparing for graduate courses in counseling techniques and interventions and counseling theories. We're doing some grad school level work here. So I hope you're okay with that. But that's because that's where the power is. So REBT starts with the foundation that it's not what happens to us in life. It's how we interpret what happens to us in life. And this is not a new idea. He borrowed from the Stoics. And interestingly enough, Stoicism has become popular again. And I'm seeing a lot of memes about it, which I think is fantastic because it's a way of living that involves using logic and reason. And getting back to REBT, when we interpret what happens to us, our interpretation is informed by our belief system, what we believe to be true. And as I've noted, unfortunately, along the way, we oftentimes internalize irrational beliefs and they don't serve us. Maybe we pick them up from parents or others who had an influence on us. And until we take a moment to unpack the feeling And then the thought that fuels the feeling and the belief that's underpinning all of this, until we take a moment to do this, we are at the mercy of these beliefs that we've internalized that we haven't necessarily even decided if we adhere to them. When we're kids, we don't have the wherewithal to make a decision about, oh, yes, I adhere to this belief or I don't. We're around adults in our lives and those adults are feeding into us and we assume that they're right because they're adults. That's all we know. That's all we have to go on as children. So I love doing this REBT work because it's an empowered, mature way to make choices, to decide, is that a belief that I want to cling on to? Is this belief serving me? Is this belief logical and rational? Or is this belief irrational? And Ellis further goes on to say that most of what we consider to be low self-esteem is a result of these irrational beliefs, what he calls, quote, nutty beliefs about ourselves and about the world. So to start, I want to share with you several foundational irrational beliefs that Ellis claims are at the root of so much of our distress and our sadness and our frustration and our anger. 
when we look at these beliefs as this underpinning for how we view the world, we can then challenge these beliefs when we notice them sneaking into our thinking or clouding our interpretation of what we're going through. And as I read these, be thinking about times in your life when you may have fallen prey to these irrational notions. Number one, the idea that it is a dire necessity for an adult human to be loved or approved of by virtually every significant other person in his or her life. And Ellis would say, it's okay to desire that. When you look at that one, number one, it, yes, it would be wonderful if everyone in my life who I cared about loved me deeply and approved of everything I did. That would be great. In a perfect world, that would be the case. But it's irrational to assume that that would be true all the time with every relationship I'm in. Number two, the idea that one should be thoroughly competent, adequate, and achieving in all possible respects to consider oneself worthwhile. Once again, it would be wonderful if I was 100% perfect in every realm that I desired to be 100% perfect in. In a perfect world, I would be. Every time I endeavor to do something, every time I stepped up to perform, I would be flawless. But we don't live in a perfect world. Number three, the idea that human unhappiness is externally caused and that people have little or no ability to control their terrors and disturbances. And I love this because it's aligned with the way that I operate. I try very hard not to say he made me feel a certain way or that circumstance made me feel angry, sad, upset. I want to own my responses. I don't really believe anyone can make me feel anything because as we've been speaking to today, my feelings are fueled by my thoughts and my thoughts are fueled by my beliefs. And so what happens is being filtered through my beliefs and my perception of what happened is what is actually making me feel a certain way. It's not the event itself. The event itself has no power to impact me either way. It's the power I give the event by virtue of the thoughts I have and the interpretation I give to what that event means in my life. I'm really big on this because it's the only way to take charge and take power back. Otherwise, I'm a complete victim to my circumstances. He said this and it made me mad. This happened and it made me depressed. And I don't want to be a victim. Being a victim is a very disempowered standpoint. So I empower myself through REBT and through the cognitive strategies that we're talking about today such that things happen and they can be disruptive. But I decide whether they're devastating or whether they're disappointing. It's not that with REBT, we have no emotions. We're going to have emotions. Having emotions is part of life. It's part of the human condition. Emotions are beautiful. They inform us of what's going on with us. And then what we're talking about here, oftentimes emotions are going to show us that our thinking is faulty, that our thinking is a result of what Ellis calls nutty beliefs. And as I explain all this, I know it sounds kind of cold and so stoic and Ask anyone, I am the biggest softie, which is kind of funny. Like as I explain this, I'm like, wow, I sound really tough. But I'm the person who cries like a lot. <laughs> I will tear up at anything. The difference here, I think, is that I feel my emotions fully. But having done so much REBT on myself, I'm very well aware of the 
thoughts that are involved in every emotion. That's where the power is. That's where I have a choice. That's where I interpret. And that's a beautiful thing because I can't control what happens, but I can control how it impacts me through my interpretation. I can choose whether or not something that happens is going to derail me, devastate me, and completely demoralize me, or if it will prove disappointing. The intensity of my emotions are absolutely within my control. Number four, the idea that one's past history is an all-important determinant of one's present behavior and that, because something once strongly affected one's life, it should definitely continue to do so. Love it. We decide whether the past has a hold on us. We decide whether or not it is going to be predictive of everything to come. And this one really hits home for me because as you know, for so many years when I was dating, I began to believe that my past was indicative of my future. I slipped into a very limiting belief of, I guess I'm just unlucky in love. I guess love isn't meant for me. I guess some people marry the love of their life, but I'm just not going to be one of those people. I had a choice at that time. I could choose to see my past as a determining factor in my future love prospects, or I could have seen my past as, all right, I went through some people that aren't the right fit. All that has done is prepared me to know better who will be the right fit. That was the choice I had. And for a while, sadly, I fell into that defeatist and irrational way of thinking. So those are some of the irrational beliefs that Ellis identified that sadly permeate the mindset of many of us. Now let's look at a concrete way to unpack and dispute, to start challenging those irrational beliefs so that once we do so, we can replace those irrational beliefs with effective, new, empowered, and rational beliefs. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns, will target limiting beliefs and thought patterns, will learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood, will identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals, and will together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. This model is as easy as A, B, C, D, E. It's the A, B, C, D, E model. It's a framework for understanding everything we've been talking about up until now. So let's dig in. A stands for the activating event. Something happens, it occurs, and we become very upset. When we use the ABCDE model, we can unpack why we became upset and identify the irrational beliefs that are contributing to our upsetness, as Ellis calls it. So let's go with an example that many of us can relate to, a breakup. A breakup happens, that is the activating event. The B would be beliefs behind this breakup. And in this case, we're going to identify the irrational beliefs. 
that are fueling our emotions about this breakup. So the belief could be, okay, I've been broken up with again. I'm a loser. No one loves me. I'll never find love. I'll never get it right. All these irrational beliefs about this one event. And we project onto the event all our irrational beliefs such that then the C is the consequence which would be feelings. And if we believe that the breakup is indicative and reflective of the the fact that all those irrational beliefs that we've been spewing are true, then obviously the consequence of that is going to be we're quite upset. We're demoralized. We're devastated. We're going to cry for six years and have a very hard time crawling out of this hole. Because in our mind, that event, the breakup, confirms our irrational beliefs that we're unlovable, And therefore, we have no choice but to feel completely overwhelmed and depressed. Now for the fun part, D. The D is where we dispute the irrational beliefs. So now A, B, B are the irrational beliefs. C, the consequences, I'm miserable. And then D is where I dispute B. I dispute those irrational beliefs. I challenge them. I say to myself, Well, just because this one breakup happens, it's not true that I'm unlovable. I dispute that irrational belief. It's not true that I will never find love. I like to use the word irrational when I'm disputing my beliefs. So I literally say to myself, it's irrational to believe that just because things didn't work out with this guy, that that means that it will never work out with every other guy. That's irrational. The only way that would be rational would be if my relationship dynamics with guy over here are going to be the exact same dynamics I'm going to have with guy over there. That's not the case. Every person is different. Every relationship has different dynamics. So disputing your irrational beliefs can be fun because you go, you know, that doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. And I want to be a rational and logical person. So I can't be thinking these irrational thoughts. And you can keep going if another irrational belief you identify is something like, I'm unlovable. You tackle that one. You say things like, just because a relationship broke down with this one person doesn't mean that I am unlovable to everyone else on the planet. In fact, I have many solid examples of how lovable I am. I have great friends who love me. I have great family members who love me. I have coworkers who love me. So, It's irrational to say that I am globally and completely unlovable because of one person and me not making it and breaking up. It's irrational. So when we do this, we take the sting out of the C in the framework, the C being the consequences, which are the emotions. We take the sting out and we can say things to ourselves then in E, which is the effective new rational beliefs. We say things like, yes, it's disappointing to go through another heartbreak. Yes, it's undesirable. I'd prefer not to feel this pain again. But I'm not completely devastated. I'm not completely demoralized because I know rationally that this disappointment in the activating event, A, does not indicate that I am globally unlovable or that I will never, ever find love again because that belief would be irrational. And I am not irrational. So it takes some sitting with the emotion 
and connecting the belief behind the emotion and then challenging that belief and replacing it with a more realistic, logical, rational belief, which is also much more loving to ourselves. Let's do another example. And this one is from Ellis's own experience. And it's really one of the reasons he started this therapy. As a young man, Ellis found himself quite shy when it came to approaching women. He felt completely paralyzed and in prison, essentially, by his own fear of rejection. So let's break down the ABCDE model using fear of rejection. So the activating event here would be if he were, in fact, to be rejected by a woman when he approached her to ask her out for a date. The B would be the irrational belief associated with that rejection. Since this one woman rejected me, I will be rejected by all other women that I will approach. And because all other women will reject me, that must mean that I am, in fact, completely unworthy of love and unworthy of ever having partnership. These are all the irrational beliefs that would be associated with the activating event of being rejected when you ask someone out. C would, of course, be the feeling of worthlessness and feeling of fear and feeling of being paralyzed. For D, we can now dispute these irrational beliefs that Ellis holds. We could say, just because one young woman did not care to go on a date with you, that doesn't mean that all women won't care to go on a date with you. Or even if many women don't care to go on a date with you, that doesn't mean that you're worthless. It doesn't mean that you are always to be rejected no matter what in every realm. So we dispute those irrational beliefs. And then the effective new experience is, yes, it's undesirable to be rejected. But no, it does not mean that I'm globally unworthy of love and I will be rejected by every single person who I ever ask out on a date. So you can see that this is a really effective way to inject some logic into our emotional experience and take the sting out of the emotional experience and have it be more in step with a rational approach to life. Again, it doesn't take away all the emotion. We still feel things deeply and profoundly, but we keep them in step with logic and reason. And we take the power back. We put the power in our own hands to not give one person rejecting us or one breakup. We don't give that situation or that person all the power. We keep it within ourselves, which is empowering. Now you have a sense of REBT and how powerful it can be. And I want to share with you, to wrap up the episode, I want to share a time when I used it in my own life. It was one of those aha moments, an epiphany where I thought, Okay, I know about this stuff and I'm not using it right now when I definitely need it. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my love smarter, not harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. As most of you know, I was a runaway bride. When I was 34, two months before my wedding, I decided I couldn't do it. 
And that's a long and involved story with other applications for other content areas. But as it pertains to today's topic, what happened afterwards was, of course, shocking and confusing and for not just me, but for everyone around me. The activating event here then, according to Ellis's model, is a called off wedding. And the beliefs that were associated with that, that I didn't realize at first, was that I made a choice that was very hard to come to and a decision that was hard to go through with. I broke my fiance's heart. I broke my own heart. I wanted this life. I wanted this timetable. I was 34. I wanted to begin this next chapter with husband and kids and the white picket fence. And so there was a lot of loss involved. And what I didn't realize was this sneaky, irrational belief underneath it all. Because in the midst of it taking me so long to acknowledge what was going on with me, that my motivations for being in the relationship and for getting married were not genuine. They, were, I didn't mean to be living a lie, but I was. I didn't mean to be lying to myself and to my fiance and to everyone around me, but I was. And so when I finally made that choice, it was very hard to make. And what I didn't realize was that underneath that choice, the belief was everyone around me who knows me and loves me must understand why I called off my wedding and must support me in my decision. So it kind of reminds me of Ellis's fundamental irrational beliefs we talked about at the beginning of the episode and I'll repeat it here, the idea that it is a dire necessity for an adult human to be loved or approved of by virtually every significant other person in his or her life. In this case, I had an irrational belief that once I made the decision to call off my wedding, everyone else would fully understand and support me in this decision. It was causing me distress. It was causing me the consequence here to keep with the framework was that I was very stressed out when people would ask me legitimate questions. I mean, when someone calls off a wedding, it's kind of an unusual occurrence. And so people want to know why, how, why did it take you so long? I mean, you were engaged for four years. How did you not know earlier on that you shouldn't be marrying this man? How did you say yes to a proposal and then no a year later? Those are valid questions. They may or may not have been fair to ask, but that's not even the point here. The point is that I was allowing people asking me questions. And then if I sensed that they didn't support and fully understand, then I would be frustrated and upset myself. So again, it was that irrational belief that everyone in my world would support and fully understand my decision even though it had taken me a long time to come to this decision and to have full clarity as to what I was actually experiencing and going through. So back to the framework, I keep experiencing these feelings of frustration and like I had to justify my decision when people would ask me questions. And I didn't like how I was feeling. And finally, one day it hit me, Karen, there's an REBT thing happening here. You keep feeling upset. So let's put this into the framework, the ABCDE framework. And when I did so, I had that aha moment where I realized that the activating event of calling off a wedding was causing me 
extra additional distress because of the irrational belief B of I would love it if everyone in my life, everyone who I love and care about would fully understand and fully support my decision. And once I'd identified B in the framework, the irrational belief, it was so much easier then to go, okay, it's time to D, dispute the irrational belief so that I can E, have an effective new experience and new emotions. So what I did was I, in part D, disputed the irrational beliefs of B. And I said, quite simply, yes, in a perfect world, it would be wonderful if everyone I know and love would fully and completely understand and support my decision to call off my wedding. But we don't live in a perfect world. And it's irrational to think that they could fully understand. They didn't live the relationship like I did. I had a hard time understanding what was going on. It took me four years to get out of this relationship. So it's very irrational for me to think that with just a bit of information here and there, everyone's going to fully comprehend what I'm going through. And I don't have to have them fully comprehend what I'm going through. And I don't have to have them fully support what I'm going through. And just that disputation provided me so much relief. When people asked, how did it take you so long? You were engaged for a year and you dated him for three years. I would just say things like, yeah, it's it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around And then I didn't have to go into much more detail. I could decide how much information it it made sense to discuss with this person based on how close I was with that person, how vulnerable I wanted to get with that person. And I stopped having that irrational desire that everyone would confirm and validate my choice. Because also, as we've spoken to, I was giving away my power. I didn't need everyone to validate my choice. And if I expected them to, I was placing power over my circumstances and my emotions into other people's hands. And that's disempowered. I hope this framework feels helpful and I hope it's as powerful for you as it has been for me, as it has been in the past and continues to be in my life. The goal isn't to stop feeling. The goal is to make sure that we aren't exacerbating pain, exacerbating our distress, exacerbating our upsetness. I'll be speaking more to this, of course, in upcoming episodes because it's such a foundation for the way that I live my life and it's such an empowering way for all of us to navigate disappointments and undesirable circumstances we encounter. The love and life hack for this week is, I'll quote Alice, of course, people don't just get upset, they contribute to their upsetness. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. As always, thanks for joining me this week. I hope you feel encouraged and empowered. If you have a moment to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, that would be so great. It helps other people find the program and join the Love and Life family. Speaking of which, if you want to be the first to know about all things love and life, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the subscribe button. You'll be the first to know about the upcoming book club and support groups. Take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson April, and until next time, make it a great week.
Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram. <laughs>